Many historians say that one of the greatest minds that America has ever known was a gentleman named Jonathan Edwards. You probably know him as the author of Sinners in the Hands of, the, of an Angry God that you read, read in the 12th grade. But Jonathan Edwards said this, and if you've read anything by Jonathan Edwards, he, he really was an amazing man. When he was 12 years old, he wrote a book on spiders. I think he knew Greek and Hebrew by the time he was 14 or 15 years old. He was the first, I think, or second uh, president of Princeton University, I think. Princeton? No, Yale. Well, yeah. Smart fellow. But one of the things that, um, that he said is this, that the mind is the gate to the heart. In other words, without thinking, there's no real devotion. Experience without thinking is a rock concert. It is going to a movie and having a feeling, but it doesn't, it just spills out. It never really goes anywhere. But to begin to think and to understand truths, to meditate upon those truths, leads to devotion. And when I say devotion, I'm not talking about getting up in the morning. I'm talking about devotedness. Let me tell you this. I believe that those who are deepest in faith here in this room are those who are willing to challenge everything they've ever believed. Because you see, Jesus, if he's risen from the dead, he's calling us to the cross. And, and to be called to the cross means you're giving yourself, right, to him. And you better be right about that. Where we're coming to in our text today is Romans chapter 12. And basically what we're going to see for the next uh, weeks and months to come is what is the application of the thinking that we should have been doing for the last year as we've been going through the theology of what the doctrines of grace are, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs to be needling its way into our lives that we don't even have to have application. It's intuitive. But because Paul knows that we are all a little bit like sheep, he needs to spell it out. And that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks and months. Turn with me to Romans 12. New section of the book of Romans. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is uh, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it is transformative. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would open hearts as you open minds to think Christianly. Father, pray for those who are not believers this morning. Maybe perhaps they uh, are at least willing to admit they don't believe, they don't understand. Lord, would you give them pause 
And would you cause them to begin to consider the magnitude of the gospel? And Father, for us who are believers, we confess to you that we are not responding as we should. And so we pray for your grace in our lives, once again, to give ourselves again. And uh, we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. The last uh, year, we have been looking in great detail... And what, what is the meaning of the death, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does it mean in real space and time and history? If he was raised from the dead uh, 2,000 uh, years ago, what is its impact on the world? Now, the New Testament is very clear about this. It, it, it says that because of what happened 2,000 years ago, all things are new. The old is passing away, and the new has come and is coming and is going to be fulfilled in the consummation of the coming of Jesus Christ. And whether you believe this or not, you're part of that. Now, what we've also learned is this, that the historic faith is different than any other religion or even secular thinking because religious thinking, secular thinking is all about Building a resume, opening doors that allows us to enter into places of privilege. And what we have learned for 11 chapters is that Jesus Christ is our resume, uh, that He has performed on our behalf. It has nothing to do with anything that we do. And so in Romans 9, he tells us that I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And therefore, it does not depend on human desire or effort or the will of a human being, but on God's mercy. You see, God's mercy in Jesus Christ. So let me tell you where we are. That's what we've been studying for, say, I got you up a a year in about two minutes. But where we are today is, is that really impacting our life? What is the the application of that? See, chapters 1 through 4 are the doctrines of it, that you need a righteousness from God. I'm telling you this morning that your greatest need this morning is righteousness, not job. Not a wife, not a date, not getting in a sorority or fraternity. And, uh, and, and Paul says this righteousness comes from God. And then the implications are 5 through 11, what we've been looking at. What are the implications? In chapter 5 he says, therefore we're no longer enemies of God. And that we have access to God. And then he starts talking about what that looks like. Chapter 6, that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're to offer your members as slaves to righteousness. And then Romans uh, chapter 7, well, I still sin. Yes, but you know there's this conflict because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And then Romans chapter 8, well, how long is this conflict going to last? Well, the whole creation is groaning for the redemption of the sons of men. And if anybody ought to be honest about what it, what it's like to follow Christ and the failure should be those who are committed to the gospel. 
and seeing his commitment to them. So, so now we come to, to the place where he, he, he is asking in, in 12 and following, then how should you live? How, what is the application of the magnitude of this theology uh, in your life? How should we live? And many of y'all have heard me quote C.S. Lewis uh, many times, and I've quoted this several times. It's in our webpage if you want to go there. But I put it in there because it captivated me about 20 years ago as I was dealing with so many floating around college students as a campus minister. Coming out of PCA, Presbyterian churches, and they were raising hell the first semester. Maybe you're a freshman like that. And he said this, though. Christianity is either true and of infinite importance or it's not true and of absolutely no importance, but one thing that Christianity can never be is moderately important. Let me say this. If you've been sitting under this teaching and the Word of God week after week for the last year, and somehow the glories of the gospel are not entering into your life in such a way that you're caught up short by the gospel so that you want to respond in worship. And by the way, worship means service. You see what I'm saying? It's not worship getting excited on Sunday morning. It means service. Then I don't think you're a believer. I don't care how much you believe about the, the, uh, the Reformed faith or any of these things. I know y'all hear me say this, but I have to keep saying this because the essence of evangelical faith is not right beliefs. It is being born again by the mercy and grace of God that leads to a life that is being transformed. That's it. Is our theological thinking working its way out. You see, in a way, I don't like the word application because I believe this. Theology is always practical. I mean, think about it. Everything that we've learned about the sovereignty of God. Do you believe the sovereignty of God? Okay, good. Yes, God's in control up there somewhere, the good man upstairs. But let me ask you this. Are you thinking on a regular basis about how you live your life in context of what he has foreordained to come to pass? Is that seeping into how you treat your wife and your children and how you do business and everything that you do? And that's just one doctrine. And so it really is kind of, sometimes the whole idea of being practical, which we love because if it works, it's true, versus no, if it's true, it's true. And if it's the truth of God and it's entering into our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit, then things are happening that our text tells us are going to happen. And so, here's what I want us to look at this morning. And I noticed that in my text, I didn't check. Uh, it didn't have the whole text printed out, but uh, that's probably my fault. So y'all have to follow me with half text, okay? And, and trust me on the other. Or open your Bibles to Romans 12, 1 through 8. But here's what I want to say. The, the surrender of lives to him who gave his life is not only reasonable, but it's inevitable. If he surrendered his life... For us, and we grasp that in the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that led Jesus Christ as in His humanity and obedience to the cross, is the same Holy Spirit that should be teaching us to yield our lives to Him. 
And, and you know, it's so simple, but so hard. The, the Christianity is really not that difficult to read it and go, wow, you know, Lord, I can't do that. I need your Holy Spirit. But I'm not supposed to talk about other people behind their back. Right? I'm not supposed to be looking at uh, pornography. Right? Uh, I, I would fill in the blank. Yeah, I'm not supposed to be self-righteous. Right? And so, one of the reasons we named the church Redeemer is, is because it means purchased. You're purchased. Purchased not by silver and gold and jewels, but the, by the blood of God, according to Peter. You're not your own. And so, the, what Paul is telling us is how to learn the process of submitting our lives to him. And so... Just a couple of things to see before we come to the Lord's table. First is that we are to give ourselves to God. That's what it means. You're to give yourselves to God. And secondly, we are to give ourselves because we have experienced God's grace. You've experienced His grace. And then finally, we are to give ourselves to one another. The first thing to see is this, that we are to give ourselves to God. Notice what he says in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, that's pretty clear. I've often been asked uh, in my lifetime as a believer, what is your life verse? I've never had a life verse. What is your favorite verse? And I really don't know how to respond to that because the Bible is, is, it, it is, the whole Bible is about Jesus. So it's hard to kind of pick out bits and pieces. And I would suggest that that's not the best way to do Bible study. But I can tell you the most powerful verse that's ever impacted my life. I'll tell you what it is. This verse. And the reason this verse so powerfully, radically galvanized in my thinking what this means is I was radically converted in June of 1972. I was not looking for God. I was on a date up to no good, talking about what a hypocrite a, a guy was. And then in the midst of talking about what a hypocrite he was, uh, God in his mercy, right his mercy, the Holy Spirit says, are you kidding me? You're that guy. And you're a lot worse, and you don't know me. You're lost. You're a sinner. And the next thing I knew, by God's grace, everything I'd ever heard about Jesus went whammo. It made sense. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you have to have a radical conversion experience. God is very creative about how he converts people. Okay, well, we all agree to that. So don't worry about that. But maybe because I was so self-righteous that that's the only way God would save me, could save me. But anyway, so I go, uh, that was down at Polly's Island. I go back up to Ocean Drive about 30, 40 miles away, and uh, uh, went to some girls uh, that uh, were at some sorority house. I said, hey, does anybody have a Bible? And they lent me a Bible, and I went down to the beach. And I said, God, I don't know anything about your word. I'm a senior in high school, okay? Grew up Presbyterian church, never had read it. And I, <laughs> and I maybe I've told this story before, but, I, but I'm uh, going to finger point to my life verse, Okay. So I knew enough about the Bible that the Old Testament was on the left-hand side. And I wouldn't understand any of that. So I kind of cheated a little bit and got the wind to blow it in the New Testament. 
And it's not a great way of doing exegesis, but you know what? God loves little children, doesn't he? And so I finger point. Wham, I close my eyes and I open it up. And guess what verse I open it up to? That verse. And in the Living Bible, which I don't highly recommend, but it says, and I've been a Christian for two hours, okay? And it says, for look what I've done for you. And so I had to start thinking about this. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is becoming more and more of a reality because it's not just some compartment in our lives. Make your body a living sacrifice. And what Paul says here is that we should do that in light of these things. I appeal to you. In light of what things? Therefore, in light of what things? In light of everything that he said for 11 chapters, laying out for you this morning who Jesus is. And why you need to put your faith and trust in him and not Christ plus the Catholic church, Christ plus the Presbyterian church, Christ plus I'm non-denominational. But Christ plus nothing. And he goes on to say, for this is your reasonable worship. And, And the word there is logical. I mean, that makes sense, right? Right? Doesn't that make sense? If these things are true, then we should make our body a living sacrifice. Now, some of you might be here and you're not Christians. And you go, you know, the thing I don't like about Christianity is so archaic. This stuff about sacrifices and people sacrificing to the gods to appease the gods. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, that movie by Mel Gibson. You're talking about a rough movie. Killing human sacrifices at the end of the Mayan uh, civilization and throwing heads down the pyramids and And uh, so that's the way a lot of people think. But you see, the difference in Christianity is this. It is God who sent the sacrifice. He is appeasing His own justice by sending His Son because somebody has to pay. And so what should we do in light of this? He says two things in this verse. Number one, you're to give your bodies... That's what he says. Give your bodies. Now, would y'all say that's practical? Like when you wake up in the morning and you go, okay, Lord, I haven't lived this, this day before. So what am I going to do with my tongue? Are you going to put people down? Or are, you going to, are you going to speak love to people? By the way, if you're a Christian, do you ever use your tongue to talk to people about Jesus? Encourage people, build them up. Uh, what are you going to do with your eyes? Your eyes are physical things, right? Your eyes wonder. Or how about your hands? Where do your hands move to? Where do your feet move to? How much more practical than this be that Jesus gave his hands and his feet and his eyes for us and was crucified on our behalf? You redeem your purchase. We are to give everything to him. We're to give our bodies. Now let me tell you why that was so radical. When Paul is saying this uh, in the context, uh, back then people thought the body was kind of messing up all your spirituality because you get tired and your body kind of drags you down and 
you know, you have to deal with uh, sexual urges. And so one of these days we'll just kind of deny the flesh and the body and we'll be free and we'll be floating around up there somewhere. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches about the body. It is good. What God teaches about the creation, everything that we see and everything that we eat, He is the one who gave taste buds. He's the one who gave us ears to hear beautiful music, whether it's Bach or Jimi Hendrix. Uh, he is the one who has given us tongues to be able to sing his praise. And he has given us this beautiful picture that we have lost. It's not a picture. When he created us as human beings, he created us as male and female. Ish and isha. And what, that has got to be the greatest gift in the world. A man and a woman physically being one together in a committed marriage. It is God's idea. But we're to submit our bodies to one another in love. What are you doing with your bodies? I mean, if you're dating, for instance, you're not married. Especially you guys. I'm saying, what are you doing? Because you see, as a man, you should honor her as a woman. And you're to give, you're to honor her until you make that commitment the same way Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you, he will never be one with you until you submit your body to him. Because he's given his body for us. But notice also, not only are we to give our bodies, but we are to give our minds. Uh, he tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me tell you, you're not going to give your bodies in proper ways until you start giving your mind. And I'll tell you that the world has a very different way of looking at why you're here, what is your purpose in life, how are you going to have meaning, where do we come from? Very different. Whereas the mindset of the believer is a mindset that begins to move away from self and it starts moving out to others. It is the whole idea that it makes sense why we should give our lives for other people. Now, you know, when I first came to Christ, I started reading the scriptures. I started reading a lot of books by Puritans and, and I'm just being blown away. I was taking all kind of liberal theology at, at a school I went to. Because I, I didn't want to give up wine, women, and drinking for somebody wine raised from the dead, would you? What about your money, right? Would you, would you really want to give 10% of your money, which you're supposed to be given, I think, if you're a Christian? Would you really want to do that if, if, if you want to raise from the dead? What a waste. And what a waste to have a redeemer. This would be a tire store again. But uh, so I'm reading, and, and all of a sudden I'm starting to realize how radically different the way the, the, the Scriptures operate and how I'm supposed to live my life from the way I grew up as a southern boy. With a bunch of brothers and, uh, and, uh, and, and family and, and et cetera. And the way I grew up in Greenville High School. And, and, uh, but is, is, uh, and, and what really helped me when I got married and then we moved away and went to Columbia. And I was hanging out with believers in Columbia. And then I moved to St. Louis, Missouri. I go to seminary and I'm in the community of believers. RUF. But then what I always notice is, if, maybe you've experienced this. When you would come home for vacation... And you get about 20 miles outside of town. There's like this big mold that starts coming over the car. 
You know what I'm saying? And you start, you'd start getting squeezed back into the way that your family taught you you should be. And we know you better than anybody else does. We've known you since you're a little child. And you know what? You begin to fall back into being squeezed into a wrong pattern versus being transformed. And it's the word that we get from metamorphosis. That we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's the idea that, you know, I mean, I know you've heard this in a thousand sermon illustrations, and I don't like to give those. But, you know, the old caterpillar, right? Nasty old looking thing. Just crawling around in the, in the dirt. And, and then all of a sudden, it begins to be transformed by the grace of God. And it begins to fly, and it becomes something beautiful. You'd never put a butterfly on a fish hook. I'd put a caterpillar on one any day. And, and it begins to fly, and it's, you know, free or whatever. But this is the idea that we go from being earthbound, nasty people, people consumed with ourselves, people who don't give ourselves to one another. And then you start studying the Word of God, and you begin to go, it's not just a bunch of information. And if you're not, if you're not a Christian, you can't understand this because it's spiritual knowledge. It's of the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit begins to transform our minds and our lives, and we become benefit to people, not leeches off people. And our tongues are used to lift people up in the name of Jesus and to edify people, not to get together with other Christians and play poker and talk about how terrible... Excess, or whatever. Paul is saying, be reasonable. It's reasonable. The world tells you to put your faith in yourself. And the Bible says, you know, go with your heart. How many times? I mean, all the time. Go with your heart. You know what the Bible says about your heart? It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Oh, this guy is going to mean the world to me. And so your heart goes with it. Only to find out that the guy's a loser. Because you know what? You didn't choose a guy who's seeking to be conformed into the image of Christ who will be trustworthy. The world tells us that our lives are about building our kingdoms. And the Word of God says, no, it's about building His kingdom. The world tells us that our happiness is found in our pleasures and our desires. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. If you die to that, then you will live. And your desires will be for God, to delight in Him. And so rather than seeing sex in the context of a backseat of a car, because the hormones are running, sex is in the context of a man and woman who love each other. Uh Oh, Which, by the way, if I can be practical here for a minute. 1 Corinthians 7. Talks about giving your bodies to each other in marriage. And if you're not doing that, then why would you even think about giving your body to somebody in the body of Christ? But you see, this is what it means to be one together. In the heart of a, of a great marriage is where there's oneness. But the world says, nah, who wants to be, uh, you know, the old ball and chain? The world tells us, that you can be all you can be. And the Bible says, no, you can't. You're limited. Some, bear, uh, some have uh, right arms and some are left toes. And... So it's a completely way, different way of looking uh, at the world. Tell you what, I wanna, I wanna, I, I'm going to end on point one because I would like to ask you these questions. 
first off, does this make sense? I mean, is it just logical outflow? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not born again. You have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You're just a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic who's a basically pretty nice person who doesn't sin a ton. But you see, to be born again is to be united by the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ who's raised from the dead and all of a sudden all things are new. And therefore now you're able to put sin to death. You go, man, what is wrong with me? Lord, show me all those sins that you've already paid for. And he says, do you believe the gospel? You really believe the gospel? You say, Lord, I do believe the gospel. And then all of a sudden, you know what? You start realizing how many people you hurt. And then you become different. In your own mind, you're going, man, I need Christ. I am so goofed up. But in the, in, in, let me tell you what you become to other people. Life. You're not eating other people like the zombies. You're bringing life to other people because you're feeding upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Makes sense. Doesn't make sense if you're not born again. And it doesn't make sense if you're going to go like halfway and I'm going to give my body somewhat, but I'm going to give this, but I'm not giving that. No, I'm telling you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it is give your bodies as living sacrifices every day to surrender. Now let me ask you this. Is God good and gracious? Does he he keep on, keep on, keeping on with you? Have y'all discovered that if if you're born again? Because, the, because, you see, once you start thinking, well, what is wrong with all these uncommitted people? Then you're the worst. Right? And they kill churches, by the way. If you've been thinking that way lately, please repent. And uh, I don't know. These people just, they're just not, well, they're not born again. How about that? And you are by why? By the mercies of God. Uh, if you go to my Facebook page... It asks what my religion is, and uh, I guess I should say Christian or something like that. But it says, turtle on a fence post. That's my religion. Right, because if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you figure what? He didn't crawl up there by himself. Many of you this morning need God to take you from the bottom of that post in your immorality or in your self-righteousness and to repent of your sin, and to look to Christ, and he takes you, and he slams you up there on that post. And if you're going, yeah, but I've heard this. I, you know, I really, I, you know, I've heard this a lot, but it's still confusing to me. Let me tell you why it's confusing to you, because you won't submit. <laughs> it's because you're not, well, what if God hasn't chosen me? <laughs> Don't even think about it. All you got to do is come. And, Rest in what he is. Just confess your sins and say, Lord, I don't want to be in control of my life. I've just, and you're not going to give it up until you to surrender until you realize what a screw-up you are with your life. So I encourage you this morning, come to Jesus Christ. Rest in his work on your behalf. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father, we, uh, we confess to you that uh, there was only one perfect sacrifice And Father, we often hear in churches, uh, give your heart to Jesus. And Lord, you don't want our hearts. They're no good. They're corrupt. And uh, you don't want to refurbish them. You want to give us new hearts. Given by your Holy Spirit, where your law is written on our hearts. 
Father, would you convert people this morning? Would you cause them to repent of their sin and come to Christ and see the beauty of who Jesus is, that He is a willing Savior, that all who are weary and heavy laden of being religious or irreligious, that they would come to Christ and gladly give their bodies as living sacrifices. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.